Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Om Shanti. The time that we choose to be aware doesn't necessarily require me to just sit and meditate. But even while I walk and move around, I can be in a meditative awareness, which is awareness of the soul, the original, eternal, imperishable being of light. For a little while, I'd like to invite you to be present, to be here, and to be now. Allow your mind to settle in the moment, to relax. This meditation is about awareness. It's about becoming aware of your original and eternal self. It's about connecting to your truth. Let go of your name. And observe yourself feeling nameless. Let go of your gender to discontinue thinking you're a man or a woman. Let it go and observe how you would feel walking around without a gender. Let go of the role that you play and let go of the titles that you own. Observe how you're feeling as you are gradually letting go. Let go of your religion and put it aside just for now. And let go of your nationality and even the language that you're accustomed to. Imagine you have no name, gender, role, title, religion, nationality, or even a language. Ask yourself. How do you feel at this moment? And in this feeling, who would think of you and who would you think of? Supreme Soul would think of you, and you, the liberated soul, would think of the Supreme. In this state of absolute freedom, 
and truly who I am. A free, peaceful, pure, immortal, and eternal soul. Allow yourself to just be absorbed in this awareness. At this time, America Meditating Radio that was letting go from my inclusion revolution together with love album and I hope you've had a chance to listen to the album in its entirety on Spotify or I think iTunes so of course you can purchase the album as well online it covers everything it covers the Bill of Rights it covers the resistant movement in America it covers us it covers the stuff that we're going through and it even has this track in it about how important it is for us to get to a particular place inside of ourselves to just let go of the stories the people the places the events the experiences and as much as we know that it's healthy for us for the life of us like this meditation has helped us to move the needle just a little bit forward because I know how much many of you who've been with me on my journey and dealing with a parent that I don't know what they're going through, if it's dementia or Alzheimer's, we've done tests, everything comes back okay, but the personality is just not a personality that I'm used to. And today before I came into studio it was one of those days And if I could have put a camera to show all of you how I was talking to myself and grumbling and mumbling and going, just like, let it go, Jen. Let it go, girl. I just could not stop. And I just kept going on and on. And then I paused. This is in my head, of course. This is not out in public and for everybody in the house to hear me. But, of course, the vibrations are spreading. But at the same token, I'm watching myself and I said, This is what it's like for folks when they're in a relationship 24-7 and you can't escape it. You really have to find your inner power. And it's not that I didn't know that. I do. I have lived it. I have dealt with it. But I think also as we grow older and wiser, we also become more sensitive to the energies around us, to the stories that we tell ourselves or perhaps don't tell ourselves. And it's such a profound time. America's energy has shifted tremendously, and I think there are also so much emotion swirling in the air. Everybody is on the bandwagon to see what we really do to heal the divide and heal ourselves more than anything else. That's really what the game is about. It was never really about me trying to heal someone. And I remember telling an engineer, I was saying to him, You know, it's such an interesting feeling when you are absolutely powerless to impact a shift in someone's consciousness because mentally they've just checked out completely. And no matter what you say or do, the story in their head will never match yours and you have to be beyond it and you've got to rise above it. And that's really the opportunity that we all have and as much as we might feel like it's too much of a burden for us to bear, I asked myself, especially this morning, what's in my karma that I've created this reality, this narrative? And I throw that out to each and every one of you that's listening today. It's like, ask yourself, stop blaming people, stop yelling at people, stop looking at people who haven't matched what you feel they should be or who they should be for you. But ask the self this question, what is in my vibrational field that brings this story to me? And if... I don't like what's been written in this chapter. What do I need to put down for me inside to rewrite that story? (laughs) Those are my thoughts for you for our opening conversation today. And if you're just tuning in, guess what? You have tuned into one of the number one most listened to meditation shows, America Meditating. 
I'm your host, Sister Jenna. Today we have two very special guests that we are inviting to joining us, Rebecca Walker and Lily Diamond. They both co-authored an interesting journal called What's Your Story? Rebecca Walker is a best-selling author, editor, activist, TV and film producer, and cultural critic who has contributed to the global conversations about race, gender, culture, and power for over two decades. She has spoken to over 400 universities, conferences, literary festivals, and corporate campuses around the globe, and is the co-founder of the Third Wave Fund. It's an organization that supports women and transgender youth working for social justice. Rebecca has won many, many awards and was named by Time magazine as one of the most influential leaders of her generation, and she's also the daughter of Pulitzer Prize-winning author Alice Walker. Our second special guest is Lily Diamond. She's a writer, educator, advocate, working to democratize wellness through storytelling, accessible practices for inner and outer nourishment, and revolutionary acts of self-care in relationship to our earth and human communities. Lily is the author of the best-selling memoir, Cookbook, Kale and Caramel, Recipes for Body, Heart, and Table. And her work has been featured in the New York Times, Vice, Healthish, Women's Review of Books, and much more. Today gives me great pleasure to welcome these two amazing women. Hi, ladies. Welcome to America Meditating Radio. Hello, Hi. Sister Jenna. <laughs> so wonderful to hear your voice and that wonderful meditation that you offered. So grateful for it and, and really happy to be here with you. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for being with us. Did you all hear me ranting about my morning? I didn't feel that what you were saying was a rant at all. It felt very much like a reflective and supportive offering for so many of us who feel unreachable. Let me tell you, I felt like I was ranting. (laughs) I think that we all have so many, whether it's family or people we work with in proximity to us, are occupying different awarenesses, different realities than we are. And the question is really, how do we continue to be with ourselves through that? I certainly relate. So it felt like a very calm reflection on your own personal accountability. (laughs) I thought that if the camera was on me, they would have thought I had lost it, that I had checked out. Because you should have seen me. I was in the kitchen getting breakfast and everything. And my little mouth was like, and I just, what is it? It's my karma. I just kept going on. And as I caught myself, I said, you know what's up. You know what you've got to do. And then I just had to breathe, get my act together. Anyway, enough about me. This is all about you two. And thank you again for joining us on America Meditating Radio. It couldn't be at a better time to have two such special folks in our vortex here. Lately, we've just gotten some incredible shifts in the United States of America, the election of Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, who happens to be of my cultural origin, half Jamaican and half South Asian descent. And it's a historic moment for us, especially for the entire country. And yet I've watched historically so many countries have already elected a woman as a president or a woman as a vice president to their country or prime minister. And here we are in America, which is supposed to be the advanced nation. We're celebrating finally a woman as a vice president, and on top of that, a woman with a really nice tan. Share with me, how did this personally impact each of you? Maybe I'll start off with Rebecca and then go to Lily. There were so many emotions and thoughts I had watching Kamala. Ancestral memory, I thought of my grandmother. I thought of her parents. I thought of all of the women from Georgia who could not, I think, have imagined this moment and yet worked so hard to create this moment and to make a space for her and to make sure that she had everything that she needed in order to become and step into this moment with grace and with power. So that was very moving for me to see her and also to watch the numbers in Georgia change and know that my family, my kin, had stood online to vote for four and six and eight hours to pull this country forward 
And it was, once again, a reminder of how much black people really have been the conscience of this country since the very beginning. And we continue to do that work. So that was very, very moving. I think also, as a spiritual practitioner, I felt very strongly that Kamala, in many ways, and in her partnership with Joe Biden, represented energy that reminded me of Green Tara, of a deity who, in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, is always in a space of enlightenment, but always keeps her one foot on negativity just a little bit to make sure that it doesn't erupt. just thought that she would put that one foot on negativity, which sometimes helps me to sort of stay real, to stay human, that I can still relate. Exactly. And I felt that very much. And as I was grappling with the divide, and I saw that in them, and then I had to see it in myself, right? How can I put my foot on the negativity in my own mind that wants to gloat or retaliate or hold on to a kind of righteous anger and to really realize that in order for us and in order for me to heal the history, I have to really keep my foot, the part of my mind that is strong enough on that little bit of negativity that wants to arise so that I can move forward and represent something for my children and for the world. Beautiful. Lily, I echo so much of that feeling of progress, of moving forward, of a bit of hope and transformation. And at the same time, watching the data, watching some of the statistics and the exit polls coming out of the election, and for myself as a white woman in America, watching this narrative that it was black and indigenous communities of color that quote-unquote, saved this election. That is 100% true. We know that the election were left to white people, according to the exit polls, that 43% of white women voted for Trump, 43% of white women voted for Biden, and 40% of white men voted for Biden. And so we know, without a doubt, it was communities of color that carried this election towards this change. Yet, at the same time, holding on to this narrative that that white communities were somehow saved is, I believe, it deeply ignores, first of all, the work to be done by white communities to really address this legacy of white supremacy and structural inequity that our country has carried forward for 400 years. And that, as Rebecca said, black people and communities of color have been the soul of America because... They have had to fight for themselves and take care of themselves in this way for 400 years. And white yes. people just now, as we start to recognize our role, finally, in what it means to really work together, to tell a story of equity, to tell a story of togetherness, I'm looking at how do I encounter and what is the story that I tell around dismantling white supremacy in myself, in my family, in the communities that I live in, and how do I move forward so that the world that I want to live in, that so many of us want to live in, continues to look like a world where these transformations, where these choices get made, where black and indigenous women of color are elected into office at higher and higher rates, and where white people and white communities are fully supporting those races and those elections. And it's been quite an interesting story, and this is a question that I've asked my friends who happen to be in a lighter-skinned body. For example, you, Lily, when you look at your individuals who have the color of your skin and maybe the color of your eyes and your hair, and you might see them doing things that just feels like this is against love, what thoughts run through your mind when you actually see that, knowing that You're in a position in a country that says it's okay, you're this, you can do what you want and be whoever you need to be. This is our land, quote, unquote. What are some of the thoughts that run through your mind? The reason why I ask that, I never want to assume or judge or speak on behalf of any person or culture or race. But I want to know, how do you feel when you see a Caucasian hating, killing, shooting, 
saying that these kinds of people are less than them. How does that make you feel? Despair, fear, a deep fear of how whiteness and white supremacy has led to a sense of entitlement and exceptionalism, that Mm. there is this sense that bred in the very nature of colonization, of ownership, of entitlement Mm. to something that is fundamentally not at all ours, and yet the story has arisen that it's possible to own land, to own other people, to dominate other people. And in seeing all of that, I see real deep delusion. Yeah. The reason why I ask, I think sometimes it's just so important for us to hear how Mm -hmm. you feel. Let's say if I see a Jamaican or a Jamaican Indian carrying on with their antics, I'm like, come on, you're making us look bad. Don't do that. But one of the things that I've also checked in for me is, and I don't know if Rebecca or Lily, if you've ever felt this for yourself, for the last three or four years, there's a kind of a powerlessness that came over many Americans, black, white, rich, poor, Democrat, Republican, because everybody felt afraid that if they spoke up, their businesses were going to be affected. They were going to be pushed out. They were going to be attacked because that's just the energy that was being portrayed. So you got this feeling of just giving up and not saying anything. And when the president-elect and Vice President Kamala Harris gave their speech and Van Jones gave a very moving speech on CNN, there was like a breath, a breathe. It was like Mm -hmm. everybody was constipated and they finally got a release. And we hadn't known that everybody was feeling that because nobody said anything. Rebecca, did you notice that? Yes, it was very cathartic. You know, the tremendous relief that I felt and everyone in my family felt. My wife and I woke up this morning and looked at each other and felt like this was the first night we had really slept well in four years. And there was a kind of rising level of positivity, of energy. There was a, a kind of return to a more playful, loving ease between us and to realize that so much of the tightness that we have been feeling, that we have been overcoming daily, but it has taken so much of our energy to manage the negativity, the fear, the anxiety, and to feel that lift and to feel a return to a kind of free flowing of love and affection and warmth was so marked. I'm so grateful. You know, there's always the surprise. I mean, not really for me, but I know for her, the surprise that that it is always there for us. That when we return to this kind of space where we are allowed, we're not consumed with anxiety and fear and pain and suffering. That what emerges naturally, organically from the human instrument is openness is love is joy is a desire to be closer and i think that many many people will continue to feel that as this clears i think there is still a sense of waiting for the shoe to drop the other one because we know that we are having this experience there are many many people who are not and who are still sort of gripped by a sense of fear that they are losing position, that they are losing ground, and that they are tremendously anxious, and then they have less access to this openness and this equanimity and this ability to feel more deeply a kind of compassion that is necessary. So there is a sense of how do we hold on to this feeling that we're feeling, knowing that these other folks are not sharing this with us, how to remain sort of vulnerable and open in the best ways and also skillfully navigating the forces that are not invested in our joy, that are invested in sort of robbing us of this moment. So our practice continues to be one of balancing the sort of wisdom of openness and the skillfulness that is necessary when you know that not everyone is with you in that and trying to walk with that understanding. I got you. 
I want to talk about your new journal, What's Your Story? Because as you're talking, I'm kind of feeling this, how did our story get here? How did we get to this place? And it's a question I'd love to ask both of you. And, of course, I can give you all the spiritual answers. Please think I don't hear them and have them, right? But Mm -hmm. that's not what this is about. For me, it's more how in the world historically can a consistent narrative weave its way through society for thousands of years, and it hasn't stopped. It just hasn't stopped. They crucified a guy who was just talking about good stuff. Some other guy went on the tree, died with a smile on his face. Another one went to the promised line, and I'm not saying guy disrespect. I'm just giving it like you and I are normal people. Let's say my truth comes out, and I just can't keep my mouth closed, and go in front of the bully and say, but come on, we could love each other, and then he hangs me. It's like thousands of years has passed. Scriptures are there to teach us or remind us love is the way. The stories continue. What do you think is the reason behind this consistent story that we have had to live through for generations upon generations where there's going to be a winner, there's going to be a loser, there is somebody who's the angel and someone who's not? Do you think we'll ever come to the point where it'll only be the better angels walking on the planet? I think fundamentally we're looking at a question there around separation and duality and that when someone, whether it's a great teacher or a group of people that is starting a revolution or resisting the status quo or whether that be religious power or political power, there's a sense of deep separateness, that the status quo is threatened by the presence of this other group or this other consciousness. And yet at the same time, the reason that these other pockets of consciousness, of resistance, of revolution, whether spiritual or political, arise is because there's a longing for answers and a longing for truth and a longing for, for belonging in and of itself. And I think that as we all seek community and we seek just at a very basic human level the desire to belong to something and also to have answers that somehow fulfill our fundamental question of why we're here, Mm -hmm. we come across different groups and different people and different leaders and wise teachers who provide us with different pathways to answer those questions. And as we encounter different answers that maybe butt up against what we have known before and start to shake and rattle a bit the outlines of the world that we know and the world that we have decided is a certain way, I think it becomes very threatening. And we see that now And in the question that you asked me previously of how do I react, how do I feel when I see white people behaving in deeply hateful manner. The one other piece that I want to mention is that I do feel a sense of responsibility as a white person start to move beyond this kind of separateness that you're talking about and this illusion of separateness, right? That is what has fundamentally got us here. Well, if I don't agree with what that person is saying, I need to end their very existence. But what if we understood that at a fundamental level, the flourishing, the rest, the nurturing of every single human on earth is what allows for my existence, for my nurturing, for my rest, for my survival. That there is no safety or freedom for any of us until there's safety or freedom for all of us. Mm -hmm. And that begins with me recognizing that in myself and recognizing the ways that I prevent that and that I resist that in the world around me. So you've asked a mighty question, and I've just given a very small answer. I would add to that, too. I mean, I think when we look at the thousands of years that we're talking about, that we have a record of, that we actually codify as real history as opposed to, quote-unquote, prehistory, which had very different narratives. We look at Native American, indigenous narratives, aboriginal narratives, of what it means to be a human being, of what it means to be a community, they're very different from our more contemporary narratives, the stories that have been told in the last 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years, which often have to do with 
the control of resources, the struggle against, you know, the inner poisons of greed, of jealousy, of sort of a rapaciousness, a sense that I own this part of the land, I own this person, I own this food. Once we've split into this sense of me, my, I, and I have to make sure that me, my, mine Mm -hmm. is protected, we have evolved a story of the sort of primacy of the individual as opposed to the collective. We have written a story of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps that says that if you do not survive, if you do not thrive, it is because of you, not because of the system that is designed to support that. And I think fundamentally that has come from an inability or an unwillingness of many people to address their own fear of scarcity. And I think that it is so important for us to do that. And when we look at this last election, I was so struck by how many people who supported the Trump administration said things like, I don't like the way he talks to people. I don't like how he treats others, but my 401k looks great. My business is doing well. And I was struck also at the same time sitting down with my son to fill out our ballot and coming across propositions that might not be good for us, quote-unquote good for us as individuals in our position, but would be good for the whole, be good for the collective. And to hear my son say, this is what's best for all people, and that is more important than what is best for us as individuals because it will all come around. We will all be happier if more people have access to happiness and basic sustenance and what they need. It really is about being able to say that the narrative of the individual and the narrative of independence that is so deeply embedded in this culture needs to be rewritten as a narrative of interdependence as a narrative of understanding that no one person in this world can survive without the efforts and work and contributions of many, many others. We do not grow our own food. We do not transport. We were not brought into this world alone. We were created by other people. The air that we breathe is created by the trees that allow us. So the story of interdependence as opposed to independence I think is really where we are now, and grip of this narrative of independence comes from a long history of proto-capitalism right on up to hyper-capitalism. It comes from us actually forgetting the fact that we're souls and that the soul is such a powerful energy if used in a way of truthfulness and love and empathy and kindness like your son. It can go a much longer way. And then you Mm -hmm. look at the fact that even though more people voted for President-elect Joe Biden than ever before, and then the other person got the second highest numbers. So Mm -hmm. it's like there needs to be a narrative, and that is something I've been talking to myself about too, Rebecca, that Mm -hmm. even though ethically it all seems so wrong, economically they were okay And what I've not been able to understand is how can folks not recognize that if ethically you're wrong, eventually economically you become bankrupt. That's just the law of the universe. And this is why I feel conversations like what we are having are so important for individuals to come across and begin to think from that perspective, which could perhaps move them towards a higher call. Your new journal, What's Your Story, it's a lot about self-inquiry. And I would love for our listeners, and I know we've been blabbing off, I can't believe we're almost coming to an end, but could you tell us about What's Your Story and what was its inspiration? The memoirs have found tremendous relief and healing through telling my story. My first memoir was about growing up mixed race called Black, White, and Jewish, My second was called Baby Love, about deciding to have a child as the child of a group of people who didn't believe that having a child could be empowering. My third book is an autobiographical 
novel about deciding to marry a Muslim man from East Africa and really reevaluate many of the things I believed about Muslim culture. And all of my work had taken me on a journey of remembering what had happened, the painful moments, beautiful moments, and releasing those moments in order to create a new reality for myself, a new story was not so hindered by the old story. And I think this is true of so many of us, that our our wounds are etched into our bodies and our psyches and our souls in narrative form. And so the process for me of writing that down and, you know, saying a prayer for it, saying goodbye, thanking it for getting me to this moment, opened up a portal to create a better, healthier, more satisfying, pain-free life. So I decided to start to teach that process, and I created a master class that really supported people through a similar journey of telling their stories in an effort to free their bodies and minds of them and make space for a new story. And Lily was one of the early participants in the master class and very quickly became a partner in that class with me in helping people to move from one point to the next. And what we saw happen is that people would go through our class and then decide or call or want or voice a desire to continue to do this work. And then there were many people who wanted to come to the class. We couldn't do it. You know, we couldn't serve as many people as we wanted to serve. And so we decided to try to create this book that would mirror this process and give people the support and questions that we felt that they needed to try to excavate the old story in order to make room for the new story. And that was really how the book was born. And it also came out of Lily and I rewriting our story, starting as teacher-student and evolving into sort of companions on the path and then evolving into teachers ourselves out in the world and co-creators. And so we were rewriting the relationship that we were having at different moments. It's been a beautiful process for us to live this work. And it has come through asking ourselves questions often about what is the nature of our relationship now? How can we release the other narrative of it so that we can evolve it into something that is better for both of us and for the world. Mm, Beautiful. Lily, how can What's Your Story guide us individually in the world into, let's say, a brighter future during this particular time of great change? For example, systemic racism, COVID-19, climate change. I was going to add, this is a perfect segue into this question that you've asked, that I think one of the most urgent needs for this work, for cultivating and bringing together these sets of questions that take the reader through just a a sort of general pattern of a day and allow them to explore through writing prompts, through these reflections and the self-inquiry process, is that it's incredibly difficult to be honest with ourselves often, and particularly when we're faced with these huge questions in times of crisis, questions around systemic racism, around economic recovery or the recovery of you know, our health in the wake of COVID-19, recovery of sense of real, as Rebecca spoke about, interconnectedness versus this narrative of independence and having to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, how do we get to the kinds of questions that are going to free us to write a new story? So often we find, I don't know the questions to ask. I don't know how to get to the new story because I'm so mired within all of the different threads of narrative that weave us together and keep us bound and in place within the old. And so this book, as it takes you through the different areas of your life, from waking up and being present with your mind, to being in your body, in relationship, at work, 
in relationship to technology, to the environment, to our communities, to our homes, and all the way to our mortality, we've cultivated these sets of questions to make it a little bit easier to enter into these spaces of questioning and of self-inquiry. So the groundwork is there, and all the reader needs to come with is a willingness, the desire to be honest, to be truthful. The biggest virtue needed of this time is self-honesty. Could you share with us one of the questions that we could kind of percolate on? Absolutely. I was just going to share one of the questions that is in the first chapter that is very expansive and yet also brings us right to the point of what we are each dealing with when we're sitting with our minds. And it reminds me of what you were experiencing this morning. We all live with quote-unquote board of directors, parents, siblings, partners, teachers, spiritual leaders, friends, bosses, and others sit at a big table in our mind telling us what to do. Use this space to write what each board member says to you. And then there's the space to do that, and on the accompanying page we offer, now ask them to be quiet, to listen to you, to cooperate if they won't. If they won't, ask them to leave. Fire them if you have to. In this new silence, ask again, what should you do with your life? Write down what you hear. Beautiful. Gosh, ladies, I can't believe we're coming to our end, I tell you. I could literally just sit in the living room and we could talk all night. So as we get to our close, at a personal level, describe your own journeys of evolution, coming mm. home to yourself and mm. like asking yourselves the right question that you feel like you're evolving. How have you been coming home to yourself? Let's just keep it that simple. I think it's an ongoing journey, obviously, I think you know there have been many profound moments for me in my life of coming home to myself. And again, so many of them, almost all of them, have to do with a new story that I'm writing for myself and my life and coming to a deeper truth. I want to go back to black, white, and Jewish, and I think it was so, so important for me to write that book. I often say that if I hadn't written that book, I would have had a mental breakdown because I felt so fragmented. I felt that I, my parents you know, were in the civil rights movement. I was supposed to be the embodiment of post-racial future and a movement child. They divorced and moved to separate ends of the country. I grew up moving back and forth between a very sort of upper-class Jewish community in New York and an Afro-Bohemian, incredibly dynamic African-American community on the West Coast and felt very fragmented. And the process of writing that book allowed me to have a space where all of my different selves and experiences could coexist. And so the book became a kind of symbolic representation of what I could be, an integrated being. What also helped me to evolve even from that space was this idea of non-dualism, was an idea that there was no fragmentation, that there was a wholeness that could not be broken, that there was a oneness in my being that could not be split up into little parts, and that those lines, just as the lines that cover the earth that say this is one country and this is another country, those are arbitrary lines, those are conceptual ideas that can be released, and the idea that there were all of these schisms could be released, and I could have a psychic and an emotional and an intellectual space that was not bifurcated. And so I think that was a very big moment for me of coming home to wholeness and wellness and truth of who I am when I take off all of the masks of identity, who is beneath all of those masks. And that has been a major point of evolution. I think also, just to add another pivotal moment, having a child, I think... There is a found moment of spiritual and intellectual psychic maturation, a sense of this is bigger than me, this is a transpersonal experience. When you have a child, you recognize a kind of interconnectedness, vulnerability of 
responsibility not just to the now but to the future. I sort of woke up to what life is really about. It's not about me. It is about all of us. felt this tremendous connection as someone who had never really felt that I belonged to any one club or any group. I felt suddenly this bond with mothers, the energy that brings the new, the future into being and is thus responsible for that and awake to that. Thank you for sharing that. Lily? My story similarly has been in many ways radically distinct. I grew up in Hawaii actually and I live here again now and for me discovering a real sense of otherness very young, a way in which I was othered both socially and very aware of the differentness of my place on this earth and on this land and experiencing who I was in relationship to the community here and having early on a very profound sense of was my responsibility to the earth and to my community because of so many of these questions in Hawaii around race and land and natural resources and how we steward the land. And as I grew up and as my the scope of my world expanded, I came into a real sense of duty around kind of spiritual activism. And for me, that grew out of, in a large sense, experience with my parents, who were both children of the 60s and 70s, in that they were actually coming of age then. They're both father is now 82. My mother passed away 12 years ago, but uh, would be in her 70s. So both of them began their you know, spiritual journeys in the 60s and 70s, studying Advaita Vedanta, studying Buddhism, and really questioning every element of their sort of middle-class Jewish upbringing that they had experienced. And really rejecting the status quo. And I grew up in a mix of all of that, and they really encouraged me to find my own answers in that way. And I I went through a very traditional experience in college and graduated with honors. I decided I wanted to spend my whole life actually devoted to working in the realm of spiritual teaching and spiritual activism. For me, I found that in many ways, ultimately, and this didn't come to light until the juncture at which my mom actually became very ill and then passed away when I was 24. At that point, I realized that I had taken on a tremendous amount of number of belief systems and a number of beliefs that really weren't my own, that I hadn't found my own way through all of this, that I had been led from the beginning because of this sense of deep otherness that I had experienced as a child, I had been led by my desire to belong. And because of that, I had allowed myself to move into circles and to move in ways that weren't actually fully authentic fully to who I was. How did you get home? First of all, losing my mother and losing a romantic relationship that meant a, a tremendous amount to me, being in a kind of groundlessness and really seeing I had to rewrite my story from the beginning. And from that space, meeting Rebecca, beginning to work with this practice of telling my story, this practice of memoir, this practice of asking myself these questions, taking the Art of Memoir Masterclass, and then beginning to really do this work on myself, brought me back home to who I was and allowed me for the first time to encounter my own mind, to be brave enough to ask myself these questions that before were terrifying because I was worried about telling the right story and answering a question in the way that others wanted me to answer it rather than answering it the way that I needed to. Got you. Ladies, thank you so much for your hearts, your thoughts, your words, your sincerity, your genuine presence, and leave us with a website that our listeners can get a hold of you and know that I'm sending you unlimited blessings and pure wishes for everything that you both will do. Thank you so much. I'm so happy that we were able to spend this time together. And Lily, who is our 
tech guru, social engagement guru, which website do we want to send all of these beautiful people? Yeah, so you can find all of the information about the journal, the ways to order it, where to find it, at whatsyourstorynow.com, just all spelled out as you would <laughs> imagine it, whatsyourstorynow.com. That sounds perfect. Please thanks again, Becca and Lily. Many, many blessings. Thank you, Sister many Jenna. Many blessings to you, Sister Jenna. I hope to meet in person, but this has been very powerful, and I'm so happy that you are on the planet doing this work. Thank you so much. All the best. It was such a rich conversation between Rebecca Walker and Lily Diamond. What's your story? It's great. Think about it and go to their website for more information on whatsyourstorynow.com. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission, and we really are here to love each other the same. So let us increase that love more and more so that we can feel blessed, rich, complete, fulfilled. And because we ran over time with the show today, here's a little bit of Karen Drucker, but do take care. Bye-bye, everyone. Sister Jenna, you've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.